Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Uh, we have with us right now uh, the FDA Commissioner uh, Stephen Hahn, Dr. Uh, Stephen Hahn, an oncologist uh, by uh, training, has been on the job uh, since uh, December 17th. And what a way to get started, sir. It's good to have you with us here, Tony Katz. An absolute pleasure. Uh, I wanted to start with you, sir, on the conversation of testing. There's a little bit now of what we're learning about, as the president has advised during his uh, press briefings, uh, that testing from Rutgers that can happen through saliva, but there's also the conversation of what happened in the month of February, which is to say the FDA not having private labs doing the testing and the decision to go with the CDC tests and those CDC tests didn't work. Can you talk about what Rutgers has developed and the testing we're seeing now? And can we talk about what I would describe as the failures of what happened in February and what we've done to solve those problems? Yeah, you bet, Tony. It's great to be here, and uh, my best to your viewers. I hope everyone's staying safe. Um, so with respect to the saliva test, um, this is a Rutgers lab that developed um, the ability to use a swab in the mouth and use saliva to detect the virus. Um, it really is a significant advance because previous efforts to look at this haven't shown the same results. And the real question that we're working with other laboratory manufacturers about is whether this is generalizable, whether this could be moved to other laboratory platforms um, and uh, and used in other tests rather than the nasal swab, uh, because it would certainly be easier for self-collection um, if someone went to a doctor and would protect uh, healthcare workers even more. Uh, so that they don't get exposed to the virus potentially during the, the process. So it's good news, and we're working hard with the manufacturers to uh, to, uh, to to get that done. So in terms of the issue of, of February, I think it's really important to set the record straight here. Uh, FDA started working with CDC in early January on their test. In, in January 22nd, we started working with laboratory test developers, both the private labs, but also the commercial labs. And the, and the, the, the really important point here is that we've seen what happens in countries when the tests aren't accurate. And we have been working with hundreds of companies since that time, including the month of February. We developed a template to make it easier for them to go through the regulatory process. And in the trade press, we've heard comments from these companies that have said we could not have made that process easier. You know, that being said, there were problems with the CDC test. They, this happens in the development of tests, and we worked very closely with them to get that right. Um, but what you're seeing now is sort of flooding of the market of many different test manufacturers, normally taking years to develop. Uh, but because we worked in February with them and we worked very closely with them, we have them available now. And I can't stress enough that having an inaccurate test is worse than having no test uh, for many doctors because you've got to get the right results in the hands of people. I, I don't disagree with that, sir. Not in the slightest do I disagree with that. But what we have... Uh, read and, and discovered is that there were regulatory processes in the way keeping private labs from getting involved in the testing and a lot of these labs that wanted to be of help be of assistance were told well fill out the form those regulations have been removed and that testing was able to then go forward are we in a place where we're going to say you know what some of those regulations aren't necessary to begin with is that one of the things learned from coronavirus well, those laboratories that you're speaking about, and those would be called laboratory-developed tests, they were working with us in February um, and involved in this, and, and they uh, had been working the entire month of February about this. Um, so, so they had been working on their tests, and, and we received uh, feedback from them in late February that they thought that the 
forms, as you point out, uh, were an obstacle. So five days after we heard from them, we responded and loosened that um, uh, that regulatory requirement. I think this is a really important conversation for us to have moving forward. The other thing I want to point out, Tony, is that the companies that we've been working with, those those who really form the bulk of the laboratory tests that are being formed, none of them went through the regulatory loosening process because they really wanted to work with us on the technical aspects of the assays, get them right, and then get the FDA stamp of approval. Talking to the FDA Commissioner, Dr. Stephen Hahn, uh, let's get into what we're seeing now with the cases that we have, uh, with uh, the, the the deaths that we're seeing. We note uh, in in that people 60 and older, they uh, the amount of cases they have versus the amount of people dying from the cases, it's a higher percentage of, of the death rate. We're seeing that happen. Is that the case overall? And in the view of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, is that enough of a reason to continue uh, these stay-at-home orders and lockdowns that we're seeing across the country? This is really um, an issue that the White House Task Force is looking at. And I think the top-line message from my perspective is that we've seen the mitigation efforts working. And I think the data that, you, um, that you're you know, referring to um, reflect what we're seeing with respect to the effect of this virus. One of the complicating features here, Tony, and that I think um, all Americans uh, have been hearing and, and we need to further emphasize is that we, um, you know, we're concerned that there may be a number of younger people who are asymptomatic carriers. That is, they've been exposed, they have it, but don't know it because they're not getting sick. And that is a significant problem for potentially infecting older individuals who are more at risk for the lethal effects of this. But being very cognizant of the fact that this has um, – taken a significant toll on Americans, um, and they've shown their resiliency, which is just to their credit. Uh, but, but it is a significant issue that needs to be worked out as we talk about open, reopening America. So it, going a, a step further uh, on this conversation of the idea of, of reopening and the people who are asymptomatic, flattening the curve, as I've always known it, sir, was always about the idea that you didn't want to overwhelm health care workers. But it wasn't about the idea that somehow we would be eradicating coronavirus. So even after the flattening of the curve, seeing things go down the other side, it is possible for asymptomatic people, or is it possible for asymptomatic people, to still be able to transfer coronavirus to somebody else? Um, Can it just stay in the system? We hear a lot of back and forth about how long uh, the virus lasts. Does it last on surfaces? Does it last in the air? If, if people start going back into public society, what are the odds that we're going to see new infection rates? Yeah, and that's the flip side of this, as, as you point out, is that um, there are significant unknowns about this. But you've probably heard Dr. Burke say at the press conference that this is one of the most infectious viruses that she's seen in her career, this being an expertise of hers. And so we have to be cautious about that particular issue, which is why, you know, the data that we're collecting now about all these issues will help us inform the plan. Before I let you go, uh, sir, uh, Dr. Stephen Hahn uh, of the FDA, the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, 
A lot has been made uh, and discussed about China and reports over the last 24 hours that China knew, uh, they're saying six days, that they had a leak before informing uh, their own people. Dr. Deborah Burks, who you uh, mentioned, uh, the coordinator of the White House task force, uh, discussing that China or the World Health Organization had to have known something. To what extent did the Chinese disinformation or misinformation or lack of information, depending on how you want to say it, change the response of the United States to coronavirus and how much more robust could it have been and what would we have to have known earlier? Well, Tony, you're bringing up an excellent point, and that is the best way, the absolute best way to fight an outbreak like this is to have accurate information and data about the epi- what we call the epidemiology, who it hits, um, who gets infected, how it spread, et cetera. And really it's a responsibility of those countries that first uh, see this virus to help the rest of the world with respect to that information. Um, and, you know, if that information isn't forthcoming, um, it does cost us valuable time and lives. And, you know, I, I think that that um, is a factor here. And as we look back, we're going to have to consider how much of a factor that was. Well, that was that was, that was a wonderfully political answer. One of these days I want I want the hard edged answer, sir. That's okay, that, that has enough. to happen. Uh, that's uh, Stephen Hahn, uh, Dr. Stephen Hahn, Commissioner of uh, the Food and Drug Administration. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us.